Okay, so welcome to Challenging Leadership. My name is Stephen Matha. It's great to have you with us today. Uh, we've also got... Hey there, I'm Jared Scott. Brilliant. So Jared, it's your topic today, something you wanted to talk about. So do you want to introduce it for us? Uh, sure, I'd love to. You know, I was uh, thinking about when it comes to leadership, um, balancing authority and empowerment is critical. Mm. It seems like uh, leadership always has a tendency to go one way or the other. Like you have you have leaders that maybe micromanage and then you have ones that are super empowering and uh, th- those extremes uh, can actually not be so good. Um, so I thought it'd be kind of cool to talk about how yeah. we can balance it out and look at the strengths and weaknesses of both of those. Sounds good. Sounds good. Right. Okay. Where do you want to start then? Well, I was thinking about that. Um, let's talk about the uh, the positives. <laughs> Always, I like to start at positive because boy, okay. there's going to be some negative things. I think that we can we can delve into. But um, one of the one of the things that uh, I was thinking about is I tried to try to look at an illustration. And so I'm, I'm sure over there you have walking paths or nature trails that you can take. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, we have one here. It was an old rail uh, line, and they they discontinued the rail service and they paved over it, and it's about I don't know, 30 miles long now. And, um, but it's very clear, uh, you know, and, um, you can, you, you can't get lost. I mean, it'd take a great deal of effort because it's very <laughs> obvious what the path is. Yeah, yeah. And, um, it made me think about that. That's maybe where we start with when you're directing people, when you're leading people, there needs to be a clear path. It needs to be identified with signage, um, you know, clear communication, but I can also, I could walk on that path. I could run on the path. I can even take my bike on the path. So there's different ways that you can traverse from point A to point B, and yet you're staying on the, the path. And so one of the one of the first things I thought about is if you're going to balance uh, authority and empowerment, then you need to really initially set clear expectations. You got to you got to tell people what you want them to do. Um, and uh, the the thing that I think is important is, is that everybody needs different types of signage. Uh, you know, some people, if you give them an open range to travel on, they're going to panic. You have to get down to, I need you to walk on this path, <laughs> you know? Um, otherwise they'll just stand there. And like, I don't know what to do. Whereas others, you can say, I need you to get to this town and, uh, okay, no problem. And, um, they'll, they'll make their way. So, that's just that's just something that I that I thought about when it came to um, to this. Is initially you have to set clear expectations for those that you're leading. Okay, cool. So, um, what do you think about? So, just taking a step back, I suppose. Um, yeah. Thinking about what what we mean here. So, uh, the the most um, well known model that sort of talks about this is is Kurt Lewin's famous model that where he talks about um autocratic managers or leaders um uh, laissez-faire leaders or mm-hmm. sometimes called abdocratic or highly delegative and uh and then you've got a middle zone there which is sometimes called democratic sometimes called participative um so do do you sort of subscribe to that um way of thinking or or not what what's your thoughts on that um I mean, I think that it's a great place to start, um, but then you have to look at what are you leading. You know what? I think that each of those types of uh, leadership um, ways are uh, good based on what you're leading or who you're leading. 
Um, yeah. You know, you got to you got to match it up. Like if you're very high up the chain of leadership, then perhaps uh, the, uh, the the way would vary versus somebody who's maybe leading a very small group of individuals. Mm. Yeah. You know, so, so it's situational in your view. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very situational though in my thinking. So I, yeah, I try yeah. to be very flexible and not, I don't think that a, a hammer fixes every problem. <laughs> so mm. yeah. But, yeah. How about you? What do you think? Yeah, I, t- I tend to agree. So, I mean, when I'm training managers in this topic, I, I tend to, it's easier to understand the extremes, isn't it? So you sort of look at the, a list of characteristics let's say in an extreme autocrat and these would be you know everything's got to be done their way micromanaging um often quite aggressive as as a a sort of behavior set of behaviors um that the the team don't really have any freedom to make decisions it's all kind of down to what the manager wants um Mm -hmm. so that would be an extreme autocrat i would suggest and then the extreme laissez-faire sort of leader is um you know they just let things drift and um, just let people do what they want essentially and nobody really takes any decisions um well eventually i guess the workforce have to make some decisions but they don't really know what they're doing and then they end up getting in trouble and passing the book and all of that so that's the extreme laissez-faire and then i think there's a zone in the middle that i try to encourage um my learners to think about as as the kind of useful zone whether you we call that democratic or participative it doesn't really matter but there's a zone there that we can operate in and depending on the situation will depend on which sort of end we're going to operate in that zone so sometimes if we've got a very new team uh no one really knows what they're doing it's uh, a new project or something then there's quite a lot of direction that needs to be given clear sign signage um to use your illustration and um very clear goals you know this is where we're getting to this is the vision uh these are our desired outcomes and and there's very clear uh route to how to get there whereas once a team's developed a bit more and uh, people know what they're doing uh, and you've got more trust in in the individuals then i think you can you can step off a little bit and let people make more decisions and that that leads to a more dynamic more flexible and, and ultimately a better team but yeah it, it, it is as they say i don't know whether you have this saying in the states but horses for courses i don't know whether you that's you a new that one, one for me but okay maybe heard it. so it's a horse racing analogy so you know different horses uh perform better on different sorts of ground so if it's a very mm-hmm heavy sort of ground then you need a, a certain type of horse to run that um, whereas other grounds other conditions might be much more suited to another type of beast and so i think that's that's the it, again it's situational really it's it's so that's that's my general thoughts around it i think sure oh well i appreciate that and um now I, i'm going to use that uh that illustration <laughs> i like that that's, that's good i guess that explains why the uh, triple crown winner is is so impressive because it runs on three different yeah. tracks that have mm. a different style to them yeah um, so maybe that's the uh that's what they're the one size fits all leadership the all-rounder <laughs> yeah i mean you know i think i think an all-rounder is is really useful in in any sport but um mm-hmm. or in any discipline but yeah, you probably need some specialisms as well. So, yeah, there's probably times when it's better suited to your style, depending on what situation you find yourself in. Yeah. So true. Um, so true. 
I, I guess um, as as it's called challenging leadership, I like to take on that role of um, of challenging everything. Yeah, no, <laughs> so let's do it. I, I, I guess I'm gonna um, I'm gonna challenge. Not, not, I don't, I, I don't disagree with anything you said, actually, Jared. I think you're. But it's okay right. if you do. <laughs> but yeah, I know, I know. I'm having think, my coffee, so yeah, go on, chill out, and have your coffee. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, sometimes, I think we do as managers. I think we can slip into, um, an, a, a sort of degree of control freakery, that is perhaps, uh, not necessarily, not necessarily all warranted. Um, and I think managers tend to err on the side of more rather than less control. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes that that can get in the way of, of other things that uh, we want from our team. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's quite a lot of theory around um, empowerment and feelings of autonomy and, and its relationship to motivation. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if you're interested, I can sort of throw some of these at you and, and well, I'd love to, because uh, I actually have a couple of uh, real life examples related Great. to that. So, so right, you okay. can do that and I might, I might have something that says, well, this is actually what happened. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. This is the real world, Steve. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, one of the, I suppose when you're thinking about, um, empowerment. I think the the whole point of empowerment is the reason why a manager might want to have that sense within their team is because it increases sense a sense of motivation. It means that the uh, feelings of wanting to work hard, wanting to get a good result, is coming from within. Mm-hmm. So this is known as intrinsic motivation in psychological terms. And there's quite a lot of um, research into what creates a sense of intrinsic motivation one of my favorites is uh, a theory by uh, desi and ryan so it's definitely worth looking this up if people are interested mm-hmm. i'll see if i can pop a little link in for a paper that's accessible um but they've done a lot of work on on the idea that we all have basic psychological needs and if in the workplace if we can create a condition where people are able to meet those basic psychological needs, then people are more motivated. Mm-hmm. So this is one way of thinking about motivation. It's saying, actually, the way we motivate people is by creating the environment where people's intrinsic motivators are met, these basic needs. And the basic needs are autonomy, competence, and a feeling of relatedness. Mm-hmm. So according to Desi and Ryan, these are basically the three things that people need, particularly in the workplace. They need a sense of autonomy. So that very much relates to this question of empowerment. They also need a feeling of competence that they know what they're doing, they can do it, and that you know they, they're getting feedback that shows that they actually have got some competence in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, and relatedness, obviously, is the social element. So feeling that they're part of something, part of their team, they've got um, people that value them and they value their friendships and relationships with their co-workers um, but also maybe feel connected to something bigger so the business itself or the uh, the mission of the business might be part of that as well mm-hmm. uh, but going back to this o- autonomy thing this is the, the the one that's often perhaps the most difficult because clearly complete autonomy is 
probably quite problematic, really. You know, we can't say to everybody in the team, you know, just kind of do what you want, guys. Um, you know, that's not going to work. So there's always a balance there, I think. And it's, it's trying to find that balance, which is is the tricky one. But um, yeah. but yeah, that's a, that's the motivation model. I don't know whether you've come across anything like that. I mean, there's a lot of common sense in many respects, but it's this idea that that motivation is coming from these intrinsic needs mm-hmm. being fulfilled. It, it, it makes sense what you're saying. And I, um, I agree with that. Actually, that's how I like to yeah. lead. But um, I am in the position where I lead a small group of people. And I was thinking about what happens when you have a large, a large group. And um, it made me think about Google uh, several years ago. They, uh, they said, hey, we're going to do this 20% your time policy. And um, okay. what they said is basically, hey, 20% of the work week, you can do whatever you want work on whatever project you want, um, uh, you know, and basically we're trying to foster creativity and innovation. I mean, you picture, mm. I, I don't know, you know, the stereotype, you got all these people riding around on skateboards and, <laughs> and yes. Coca-Cola in their hand and, you know, Hey, yeah, let's yeah, go yeah. get some candy yeah. and chat about it a little bit. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, they, they try to do that, but over time it actually, uh, led to, uh, less accountability and um, decrease in overall productivity. Like people got lost in the weeds um, Mm -hmm. because I don't, some people are scared to death when you give them too much freedom and then others, they embrace it. You know, I mean, I think about me personally, I, I love being given auto, excuse me, autonomy um, to just get the job done. I love to use my creativity. If I'm in a box and I'm constrained, it just kills me. Like that's just me as a person in general. Mm -hmm. Um, but in this case, I'm sure they were thinking maybe from their perspective on what they liked, whoever made these decisions. But when you've got thousands of employees, mm-hmm. um, just having a, a, um, a general policy for everyone, that could be problematic. So, um, yeah, uh, again, I think the situational nature of this is, is really important. So I guess it depends on the job to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. So. If you're, I don't know, highly creative role, you know, where you're, uh, you're expected to come up with new ideas constantly, then, then you need, I would suggest you, you know, you need that freedom to explore sure. things and, and some of them will go nowhere. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just part of the, of the process. Um, it's a bit different if you're, I don't know, working on a very specific project with a specific end in mind. Um, Maybe that's a bit different. So, yeah, um, I guess it is. Again, it's that situational element of it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But um, have you ever ever heard of a company called Zappos? um, They're basically a shoe company. I love them. I I could go and look at a pair of shoes online and they'll deliver them to my doorstep tomorrow. And and they, they come with a shipping label. Hey, if it doesn't fit, you don't like them. You just slap the label back on the box and drop it off at your local postal area. And then, you know, um, again, it's, it's, uh, it's been successful. I think it works underneath the Amazon umbrella now, Okay, yeah. but, um, they, they actually, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this term, uh, holacracy, um, a a whole nother, uh, (laughs) way of looking at things. Um, but that was the approach that they went with and it was, um, basically distributing authority and decision-making throughout the entire company. Hmm. So from the, from the smallest role all the way up the chain, everybody had some measure of authority to make decisions. And, um, and the intent was to empower employees basically to take ownership of their work, hmm. which is 
honestly what we want, right? Ownership, yeah. ownership and accountability is so important for the success of any organization. But um, people actually, some people didn't like it. They grappled with the uh, the idea of, well, where does the line stop where I have authority and someone else now needs to take over? And other people like, I don't want any authority. I just want to be told what to do. Mm. So uh, ultimately, they decided to shift away from that as well. So I just, uh, you know, that those are those are those are probably two situations where they tried it and it did not work. But um, I just saw that that uh, phrase and I was like, I've never heard of that before. Holacracy. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think I've come across that. I mean, yeah, I, I think I suppose, again, just thinking about challenging that for a moment, I think it's it's easy to. Um, because the, 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 the most common way of managing is to have a very hierarchical structure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's become it, it, in business. We don't even, we don't think it could be another way. You know, we just assume there is a, you know, there's a senior leadership team and then there's, there's another level below that and everybody reports into each other and it's this very hierarchical system. Um, and I was talking to, I think I've mentioned this, um, this academic, already on this podcast but Dennis Tourish professor Dennis mm-hmm. Tourish um I've interviewed him for a different podcast and um I mean he's quite radical in in his thinking and he makes the point that you know in in other areas of life we've accepted that actually that isn't the best way of of operating you know so in politics or um in lots of other areas of of life we don't we, we might have hierarchies but we don't necessarily have the same sorts of um, power structures as we do in the workplace um, and so he, I guess he's trying to challenge those assumptions and whenever you have a, a business that tries something different they stand out like a sore thumb and and are obvious then and so everybody's waiting for them to fail the reality yeah. is is that out of you know millions of businesses throughout the world most are uh, doing it the, I guess, the old-fashioned way, the, the mo- most common way. And you'll see loads and loads of examples of poor leadership and poor um, employee relations, poor levels of uh, motivation and empowerment and all of that. So, yeah, it's it's hard. I think um, we don't have the research, as far as I'm aware, that's that's able, because we probably don't have enough of a pool of, uh, of examples to be able to see actually which of these work well and which don't i mean i suppose i'm i'm it reminds me a bit around the debate that's been going on for years around home working you know working from home so if we go back 10 years um it was generally considered that you know if people are allowed to work from home or flexi time even at home then people just um, take advantage and they'll they'll do less work they'll get distracted and they won't um you know basically it'll be a cost um i think that the the evidence was for quite some time that again depending on the role and this is why it's really hard because you can't generalize but depending on the role there's there's a lot there has been a lot of evidence for quite a long time that give people the opportunity to work from home and have some control over their hours um actually you get more from them um you get more hours you get better quality work um and yeah okay there will be some distractions but there's distractions at work as well sure and actually um nowadays it's i wouldn't say the argument's been won because there's still some dinosaurs who want everybody back in the office um clocking in you know but um i think again depending on the role for office 
sorts of jobs where you're sat in front of a computer for most of the time or you're on the phone you're you're you know talking to people over zoom or you're on the old-fashioned phone then yeah i think i think that argument's almost been won that actually yeah working from home can be at least just as good mm-hmm. um there is opportunity for abuse but that doesn't mean that majority of people are gonna are gonna do that so sure. yeah that's i think that's quite an interesting one um yeah i i'll, I'll stop talking now I'll, I'll no no it's okay <laughs> I mean, uh, you definitely hit a hit a spot with me with with that because you know uh, until until we had the COVID situation, yeah, I think uh, you know we just like let's just carry on like we've always done. Right. And we've even found um, technology forced upon us showed us that we don't have to spend time on airplanes or <laughs> traveling yeah, everywhere. You know, I do a lot of traveling with my role, and it's like so many times uh, you can do just as good of a job just doing like you and I are talking from yeah. across the pond, right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's absolutely. like the same room together. Um, you know, and, and it's just, again, having that balanced viewpoint, but, um, I was thinking too, you, you're like, uh, it's so hard to find examples that well, how, how do we prove it out that it's actually happened? Because the tendency is, is we can have 100 times trying something and everybody focuses on that one negative time. It didn't work out. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, it was terrible. It's rubbish, if I yeah. may use that word. <laughs> and, and, I love uh, the way you slip these English words in. These Anglo. I'm trying. I'm try, you know, I'm trying to find you know common ground with you, Stephen. <laughs> no. But um, no, uh, it, it's it's interesting because um, uh, the, uh, the the other uh, example actually, I'm going to do a positive example. Um, you probably heard about Toyota and Kaizen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and they're their incremental changes mm-hmm. that they yep. they did. So I I think that's where if you're going to change how you lead and you're mm-hmm. going to adapt to the times, doing so incrementally allows you to be able to always make sure you're not deviating too far from where you're trying to go. You know, so that's mm-hmm. that's that's uh, an example of of success because they continue to influence culture by how they do things and they've been oftentimes copied by many other automotive manufacturers. Yeah, and I think that's that's a very good point. Actually, a, a lot of these experiments are are very uh, brave um, in terms of how you know we're going to radically change the way we we do things, and maybe that's actually part of the problem is that um, it yeah. takes a while for people's behaviours to sort of adapt to these new ways of doing things, and actually they'd be better just doing a, um, <laughs> these incremental step by step continuous improvement type approaches as opposed to yeah, right from now on we're just going to let people work from home without any uh you know without any direction and uh, i think it's true that um that we also do need i think we all need some feeling of support so um, on the one hand you could you can see direction as a an imposition upon you you know i'm being told what i have to do but on the other hand there's an element of supportiveness there that if I'm left to my own devices, I, I don't, I feel like I'm a bit lost and I, I do need some direction. I think we all need that. I mean, I'm a, a very autonomous person. I'm yeah. lucky enough to be able to work for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I really do miss is, is a bit of, um, from time to time, a bit of direction, you know? Yeah, sure. I, I agree with you. Made me think about like, if we're going to, if we're going to talk about, you know, empowerment, what are some things you should do if you're trying to empower? 
Um, and yeah, uh, good idea. it made me think about your, uh, you, you did this little snippet this week, I believe about a short pencil. <laughs> yes. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 You can, maybe I'll let you explain that a little bit if anybody hasn't okay. had an opportunity to, uh, to do Yeah. That. So I just did a little, um, I, I think I just did it on our Instagram page actually. So yeah. I, I was doing the, I've got a course that I run. It's a three-day program. It's a program I developed over the years, and it's pretty much the same every time, but obviously we adapt it to some degree. But one of the exercises is it's like a manufacturing simulation. In fact, it's it's a it's a mini manufacturing plant, it, so it actually makes something at the end of it. Um, and part of it is that they have to use pencils to color in something, and then they, they use that to do something else. Um and obviously, the first uh, round, we want to make sure that they they have plenty of things that they can improve on because it's a, it's really around continuous improvements. It's a sort of kaizen day that we're doing. So um, the first round of this exercise, I give them equipment that isn't really very good. It's not up to much. And one of the things that we do is basically. Uh, make sure that all the pencils they've got a tiny tiny weeny little bits of stubby pencil left that are blunt you know so i get my scissors and i cut the end off them um so they have to then sharpen them before they start and they're too small to be able to operate properly um and what is interesting is that most people in fact i don't think i've ever had a group and i've been doing this for now for about 10 years i don't think i've ever had a group say um, Steve, we can't do this task because we haven't got the equipment uh, that we need to do it. They just put up with it and they do the best they can with the terrible equipment I've given yes. them. And on the one hand, I always feel a little surge of pride um, in my fellow workers that they will they will try. You know, this is manufacturing people, and I think manufacturing people are generally, you know, a real can-do attitude, and they'll they'll do their best. So there's a little bit of pride there in them. But on the other hand, there's an element of, you know, why are they putting up with that? You know, why are they not challenging me and saying, yeah. actually, we could do this a lot better if we had some decent equipment, Steve. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's quite interesting. So I, I just talked about that briefly on our Instagram page. If you're not using that, by the way, listeners, um, check us out on uh, Leadership Pod Instagram. Yeah. yeah so that, that's the example. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I love the example because what it shows to me is if you're going to empower people, maybe in a little bit of a different direction on the take on your illustration, it's like you have to give people the training, the tools and the resources in order to succeed. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like and so it's like if you try to empower somebody and you give them that short stubby pencil, yeah. <laughs> is it like that can be that can be demotivating. Like, why do I, I don't want I don't want this authority here. Take it back <laughs> because it's you've made it more difficult on them. You know, it's not that it's not that leading is uh, not challenging, but we shouldn't create challenges by improper tooling or improper resources or not enough training. Um, and that's where that's where I think it can fall on its face is what? Well, hey, I gave you the authority to do this. Yeah, you did. And you didn't give me any any support. You didn't give me any help with this. So I think that's. So yeah. Important. I, I, that's that's absolutely right and and i suppose also it's that space um that psychological space to be able to um question and ask questions um mm-hmm. even challenge um you know I, I i still think clearly a leader because they've got the responsibility they're being paid to make those decisions and they they are answerable for those decisions so i, I do believe that they they should be given respect um by the by the followers by the workforce to 
um, to do their best to uh, you know to do what they're asked to do. I, that's, I try to do that if I'm sure. when I've got a leader. Um, so I, you know, it's not that I want anarchy in the workplace. Um, so I do think it's important to to follow those instructions. However, I think it's also important to give people the space to be able to say, um, "I just want to have a." Can I just challenge this? Can I can I actually talk about this? Because I I've got a problem with this. And um, yeah, you know, then you can have an adult to adult conversation about it. And um, you know, you either change your mind or, or you don't. Um, but but yeah, I think it's important to have that that ability to have those conversations. Yeah, that's that's uh, so important. And um, yeah, I was thinking it's like there's so many pieces of this puzzle that have to be put together in order for this to actually work when you're empowering individuals. Um, because if, if, uh, well, I'm going to cite another example. My, um, okay. my first time working, uh, where I work at now, I was, I was in production and I remember, I remember, uh, the tool that I was supposed to use to put together this component was, was not working. It was, it was, it was broken. And here I am, this young kid. And I'm like, went up to my, uh, my, uh, supervisor. He was, he was ex-military and it, and he was, he was uh, super, super rigid, stoic, maybe. Right. Is okay. But uh, he's like, well, you just need to improvise. <laughs> and, and I'm like, uh, he may have dropped in a few other words in there. But we'll, we'll, keep our, we'll keep our podcast rated. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, but uh, he, he uh, I'm looking, I'm like, I don't know what that means. Because <laughs> it was just, you know, it's a very systematic way to approach things. Um, but you know, then, you know what that did for me personally, I was like, well, I'm just not going to bring up anything to him again because I didn't want to get chided for bringing up a real problem. And, um, so when, when people come to you, if you are in a leadership role, if they come to you with a problem, even if you already know what the solution is going to be, or you feel like, well, that's insignificant. You, I don't think you should ever downplay them bringing it to your attention because they're coming to you from their perspective they obviously are stuck or they're having an issue. So that, that uh, ability to allow people to give feedback, even if it's not positive um, and us accepting it as a leader sets a good example for more continual feedback. Cause you have to have that feedback loop. Feedback can't go one way. Otherwise it's not really feedback. Absolutely. Um, so there's a, I totally agree with that, Jared. And there's a, another model that, that I use with my learners that I think I found quite useful. And we, we mentioned delegation um, in a previous episode. Um, and I think this kind of relates to that a little bit. There's a, there's a model that was developed quite a few years ago by two guys called Tannenbaum and Schmidt. Um, and it's a, a sort of way of thinking about delegation and the amount of freedom you give to your team members versus the amount of authority that you're using. And I find it really, really useful because one of the problems that um, managers have with delegation, I think we mentioned this last time, is that, you know, there's a fear of losing control. And, um, you know, clearly if, if somebody does the job poorly, then if it's our responsibility, then then we we carry the can for that. Um, so that's a, that's a reason why people don't always delegate, but I try to make the point that it's not a binary thing. So delegation isn't that you either give everything or give somebody the task, but, and everything with it or nothing at all, you can still delegate. You can give people a task or a goal, um, but still retain some of the checks and balances. So you can say, you know, um, I want you to lead this particular project or I want you to, to do this thing that I would normally do. Um, here's how I'd like you to do it. So that's one level. 
of delegation. Or you can say, I'd like you to do this thing and I'd like you to come up with the ways of doing it. Talk to me about it first and then off you go and have a go. Or you can say, here's the thing I'd like you to do. It's up to you how you go about doing it because I trust you. Um, Or you can just say, here's the job. Let me know when you've done it. So these are there's actually ten levels in this thing, but they're all sort of similar wow. to that. So it's like um, you you can operate at whatever level is appropriate, and the appropriateness of that level will be will be determined by the individual. You know how experienced are they? How much do they know? What's their skill levels? Also, how much you trust them? Um, also, the importance of the jo- of the job itself. You know, so if it's if it goes wrong, it's disastrous. Then clearly you you want a bit more control over it so i think that's a good way of thinking about it you don't have to leave you don't have to take everything in the same way you know some Mm -hmm. tasks some people some situations you'll give greater freedom greater autonomy and then others you'll you'll keep a bit more control so again it's that very flexible situational approach i think is definitely the way to go yeah no definitely agree with that i guess maybe uh different people need different uh variances of markers along the trail yeah If, if, you, if you've got someone who's a, a hiker, they, they don't get lost. They're like, hey, I know where I'm going. I just need, I need you to tell me where I need to get to, right? And then other people yeah. need a, they need a marker every every uh, stone's throw, you know? <laughs> so uh, Absolutely. And um, for, the, for the person that, that likes to find a route or likes to explore and so on, then um, finding safe ways, again, using the, the the word safe is important, but finding safe ways to give them a little bit of freedom um, or even quite a bit of freedom to to make some choices, to, to, to find better ways of doing it can be really empowering. It's, it's, it's really powerful, but um, not everybody will appreciate or will sure. it be safe to do that? So yeah, again, it's, it's very much, a, it's very much about the individual and, and the situation. Yeah. No. Do you think there's any danger with um, too much empowerment can burn people out or uh, actually have the ab- absolute opposite effect on them? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, it's one of the, it's one of the risks actually in, in the flattening out of management structures that's happened over the last sort of 10, 20 years that I've noticed in industry. Um, we've, we've constantly trying to cut costs, removing middle tiers of management um, has been very much a trend and part of that is to cut costs but also the I think the thinking behind it was to try and um, push the decision making down to people who are closer to the sharp end to the actual job itself Mm-hmm. Um, so you have first line managers now, I think having a lot more responsibility than they ever used to, you know, they yes. used to be a kind of charge hand role where they'd just be in charge of tasks, but that role is now normally, it comes with some more responsibility, you know, uh, perhaps doing even things like performance reviews or return to work processes mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, disciplinary procedures and, and performance management, um, and I think sometimes that's really unfair to those very young, often really on the first step of the management ladder. Often they've had no formal training. They've been given this role of being team leader or whatever because they were good at their job. You know, they were good at the physical job 
and so the manager th- says, "Oh, he's good or she's good. Yep. Let's give them a different job. Yeah. <laughs> They're good at that one. Let's give them a different one, which is that's more right. difficult, and we're not going to train them for it." Um, yeah. And yeah, so I think that's right. Yeah, too much autonomy, too much responsibility without the the requisite training or support. Yeah, absolutely, that's dangerous. Yeah, uh, it's interesting you brought up the flattening out because definitely uh, we see that trend even in the U.S. And, um, you know, I think that the desired effect to try to cut costs or save money it may look like that on the surface, but it creates a lot of other issues that are underlying. Um, you know, I, I uh, think about I've got I've held off, but I have to give you a food illustration. I know. I <laughs> but um, one of my favorite places to go have breakfast is this place called Waffle House. Okay. And I hope I don't lose any any listeners over this because there's very opin- strong opinions about whether you like Waffle House or not in the U.S. But okay. it's just a hole in the wall diner, and right. they cook right in front of you, right? So you're sitting there, and um, the way that they work is is usually they have uh, they call it a floor manager, and they're the ones that's making sure everybody's doing their job, right? Um, well, if you flattened it out and you said, all right, now the manager is also responsible for cooking the food, they all of a sudden have lost their ability to Mm -hmm. observe what's really going on. And now, yeah, yeah, everybody's autonomous, but you have chaos and people don't get their food. And so it's interesting how their structure works where they kind of do have middle management, if it were, where their responsibility is to coordinate the efforts of everybody, make sure that they don't, if they, if they start cooking, then they lose it, you know, and um, with, uh, with that, you know, leaders, leaders need to be in a position of leadership. Sometimes I think, the higher ups may take a position of, well, but they can also do work too. And then uh, sure, they can do the job really well, but it, it creates a, a lack of oversight because yeah. uh, you can't have 100% autonomy. <laughs> that's, that's one thing for sure. Yeah. And, and um, you know, it's a, it's quite a weight on people's shoulders. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it, it's one of those things during the, uh, I suppose the eighties and the nineties, there was this drive to to get rid of these middle managers, all these pen pushers, you know, that are just what are they doing? They're just sitting in their office all day, um, and I'm sure some of that was there. You know, I'm sure there were some people Absolutely. that were, you know, on a on the gravy train and didn't want to didn't want to get off. But um, yeah. but what then happens is that somebody's got to do those jobs, or at least some of those jobs, um, and so who who's going to end up doing them? Not the senior team, but it's the yeah it's the people below that, that now end up picking up that slack. And so they're now being expected to do things that they didn't need to do before. And again, without the training sometimes without the support. So yeah, that is, that is a problem. I, I think also there's a sort um, we go back to our horses for courses here, yeah. but there's a, an element of um, the right skills for the right job. Um, in the UK, I've mentioned the health service already, but it is our biggest employer in the UK by a long way. We, the health service employs uh, the the more people than any other employer, um, and we have a national health service. So we we all pay into it in theory through national insurance, but um, but it's free at the point of use, so we don't have to pay for treatment. Um, there is a private sector, but the majority of people have treatment free at the point of use um and there's been government after government that's restructured it and it's a huge clearly it's it's a huge behemoth of a, of an organization but one of the one of the areas where one of the governments changed things quite radically was 
with the the general practitioners, the GPs. The GPs are the doctors, your family doctor, essentially. You go to and you tell them about your ailment and they then will either prescribe some treatments or they might refer you to the hospital or to a specialist. So they're, they're essentially, in that sense, a triage service, but they're also able to you know, do some practice, some medicine as well. So that's that's the idea. Um, now, there's there were always managers of these practices. So the managers would look after the finances and would, because um, you have to pay internal payment processes for paying for services and paying for operations and consultants and so on. Mm-hmm. So all this happened internally. Um, and one of the... Um, initiatives that one of the governments put in place was essentially to get rid of all these people that were doing that. Um, so we don't need the accountants. We don't need the people who buy the services that that, uh, that do all that. We're going to let the GPs, who are the people that really make all the clinical decisions, we're going to let them do that. And that sounded great to lots of people. You know, instead of paying all these pen pushes, lots of money to manage things let's give the power to the doctors to the people that really matter but my first and it hasn't been particularly successful because my first uh, response to that was well if you're a good doctor does that make you a good manager of the practice and I would suggest not I want I want people who know what they're doing to do the procurement and the the buying of services and and the accounting and I want doctors to be concentrating on what they do best which is yes. uh, healing people and uh, referring them so yeah that that's another problem with this is is you end up with the wrong people actually doing the wrong jobs yeah it almost uh, I've seen it so many times when you when you allow too much autonomy then you lose your organizational alignment. Um, yeah. If you're trying to accomplish a certain goal or wherever the company is wanting to go, um, you you got to have a you got to have direction, and you have to have the people that are that are sailing the ship. The ship they have to know they have to know where they're going, and and everybody has their place on that ship. You know whether it's you know changing the mast or changing uh, the keel or whatever it is. You know you have to you have to do those things. Yeah, and and I suppose um, it's it's not that. Um, it's not necessarily about a hierarchy. So you know, a, a well-paid doctor um, has their have their own seniority, and um, you know that they, they have complete control over the clinical decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but a manager of the practice has autonomy over the procurement decisions or at least some autonomy or they have control over the procurement decisions and the the way that the the business is run or the organization is run so it's 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 not that anybody is feeling um put upon or under you know some sort of unfair power structure it's just that people are doing the roles that they are best suited to do and making decisions life or death death decisions from the doctor's perspective financial decisions from the manager's perspective for me that that's that's the perfect scenario um and everybody feels like they are valued um because they are yeah yeah so true maybe uh, not a change of direction but have you ever you ever uh, heard of the book uh, the servant as leader by robert robert greenleaf 
Yeah, I know that's quite a big thing. Or it has been a big thing, servant leadership. Yeah, tell us about that, Jared. Well, um, you know, I, I think I guess they call it a classic work. Um, I was I was uh, looking at it the other day, but um, it kind of uh, I don't know. It depends on what the organization is when you develop that mentality, because I think you can weigh yourself out if you're trying to be the servant. You know, I just yes. I just said earlier you can't be cooking on the grill and also managing the restaurant. You know, but. But um, his idea was uh, true leadership is about empowering people that follow. Um, mm. So I, I think there's some benefit to that. Uh, one of the things that uh, I thought about was uh, the fact that you you want lead, leaders should make more leaders. Right. I mean, that's that's one of the identifying characteristics of a good leader is that yeah. other people underneath them become leaders. But. Uh, that servant mindset, uh, I think that takes uh, the into account you know, like your day-to-day interactions, your decision-making. Um, uh, it, it, uh, you have to be ethical, maybe. That's the right ethical use of your power and your authority that you have. Um, and again, a balance like we've been talking about before. But it was just an interesting take on things because um, it almost goes against some of the philosophies we have in business. You know, where it's a very uh, striking idea, isn't it? Um, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons that it, it's it's uh, you know leadership and management, um, the industry of training and coaching um, is always looking for the next shiny thing, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, yeah. I think servant leadership sounds a bit like that. I have to confess, I haven't um, I haven't read that book, and and so I'm probably. Um, just assuming I know what it means, but you yeah, don't have I, to I, read it. It's 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 a boring read. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for the tip. Yeah, but I suppose um, that's the point of view. That concept, actually, if you think about it, um, it it sounds radical, but it's been around a long time. Um, you know, in the UK, our politicians, when they have a job, um, like. Um, they're called ministers. So we have the prime minister, we have the health minister, we have foreign secretary, but we, these are ministers mm-hmm. who, and I mean, the word to minister means to serve it. And, um, you know, Kings were supposed to be serving their people. Actually, that mm-hmm. was what they were supposed to be doing. Reality, yeah. very different clearly, but, um, but yeah, there's always, I think been this tension with, um, being in charge actually means that you're there for the benefit of the people. You're there for the benefit of the people that follow you. That's and so right. I like that concept. I think it's not a it's not a trendy new thing. It's actually always been there. The problem yeah. is when you find yourself in those positions of authority, um, it's it's easy for people to forget that. So ministers still think they're really important and, um, you know, uh, don't often see themselves, I think, as servants of the people, which is actually what they, what they should be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, it made me think about, um, uh, I don't know if you ever saw this movie. It's called We Were Soldiers. It had Mel Gibson in it. Um, no. He was, so he was a, um, he was representing a, uh, um, I think he was a colonel or a captain or a general. I apologize because I don't know his rank, but he was in Vietnam Okay. And he was leading a, a bunch of uh, troops through the air cavalry. And, you know, you, you know, those images, the stereotypical image of jumping off the helicopter. Yep. And his whole mantra is, I'll be the first one to uh, put my boots on the ground and I'll be the mm-hmm. last one when we leave. And he and so he he uh, kind of showed that what I think of when I hear servant leadership was uh, he wasn't commanding his troops to do something. 
he was he was uh, there in the midst of the battle with them and mm. um, taking taking the lead. And maybe that's where, uh, you know, it goes to our example when it shows if we're truly giving people that empowerment, uh, we have to show them what that looks like. Um, you know, that that lead by example is so critical and not just uh, not not just saying, hey, go do this and uh, tell me. Yeah, how this. <laughs> There's definitely an element of um, people like to see that um, they they like to they like to see. I, I try to avoid the military metaphors. I'm I'm really trying to um, find okay. new metaphors, but um, yeah. I'm going to use one. And they like to see um, the leader in the trenches. Um, I think you know that is right. um, that is something that that I think people do appreciate. But I mean, going again, going back to the servant um, perspective. Um, you know, if you think about it this way, as a leader, what do I need to provide for my team for them to deliver? You know, I, I always say to uh, my learners, you know, if you think about it, as a leader and a manager, it, your success, the degree to which you are a success is completely dependent upon the people in your team. So just think about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. You, your success is completely dependent upon how they perform. 100%. So anything that you're doing that isn't helping them perform is a waste of your time. Mm-hmm. So the next question logically is what do I need to do then to help them perform? And so in that sense, then that that's a really healthy and a useful way to think of yourself that i'm actually here to facilitate their performance Mm -hmm. um and that's why things like um having conversations with your team members um supporting them when they've got a problem listening to their problems asking them questions putting the metaphorical arm around the shoulder um you know those sorts of things. Having team meetings where where you discuss your vision and what you want to accomplish and how well we're doing and giving praise and also highlighting mm-hmm. issues. These things that are not necessarily directly related to getting the task done today, but they're so important because they're the things that will ensure that your team help deliver for you. So yeah, I think servant leadership is a good concept if we think about it in the terms of. What do I need to do in order to help my team deliver? Because that's yeah. basically how I'm going to deliver. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, that the, the recognition and rewarding individuals for their contributions is important. You know, um, it, it's not it's not just saying a monetary reward, but mm. uh, thinking about how uh, individuals and I think it's important to focus on the individual, too, because sometimes you do the team recognition and uh what do they say? Eighty uh, percent uh, of the work's done by twenty percent of the individuals. <laughs> Pareto there again. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, Pareto. Uh, yeah. But uh, but I mean, regardless of what the real ratio is, it's like you you want to make sure that the credit is given where credit is due, Absolutely. and um, recognition can go a long way to empower people further. Um, you know, it's it's not just a paycheck because I think. Uh, you know, everybody gets a paycheck. So never say, well, your thank you is your paycheck. I'm like, to me, that's like, whatever, because, yeah. <laughs> because we're all getting paid. Um, but yeah. you have to do more than that, but it can come in uh, various forms. One of the things uh, that I like is uh, 
his public praise, you know, uh, in, in, in going up the chain saying, hey, I just wanted you to know so-and-so uh, did this and it was awesome or, or however you'd yeah. like to do it. Uh, on yeah. the other side of that, one of the things that, that happens, that old adage is like, the better you do your job, the more responsibility you get. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, uh, you, but you could reward with like things that maybe they'd like to do, you know, mm-hmm. find out find out who, uh, I guess, delegate wisely, <laughs> give people things that actually they're strong at that um, instead yeah. of, I call it a punishment if you give somebody something to do and that's not in their wheelhouse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just wanted to throw in here before we, we finish, cause we're coming yeah. close to our hour now. I mean, we don't have to stick to an hour, but I, I feel like an hour is probably the right amount of time. I like people. it. I like it. I'm yeah, running out of coffee anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd throw in French and Ravens power bases. It seems like it's, it's silly to talk about empowerment and power and authority um, without just mentioning the most sort of well-known model here, which is front French and Ravens power bases. And, and I was thinking of this when you were talking that, um, so according to French and Raven, um, depending on when you look at their work, but there's five or six different types of power. Um, there's legitimate power, reward power, coercive power, reference power, and expert power. Um, mm-hmm. And in the, in the normal sort of leadership hierarchy, this is known as legitimate power. So I've been given the job to be your manager. I, that power has been um, given to me. I've got some authority now. And, and most people accept that. Um, it's socially understood. And we generally think, well, yeah, our manager has got the job to give us jobs to do and to yeah. check up on our work and stuff like that. So that's legitimate power. It's given legitimacy by whoever it is that's given them that um, that role. So I think most most people accept that. But um, what's nice about the power bases is that there are other power bases that that are available to to people and to to us as well as as leaders and managers. So, you know, there's um, there's reference power, for instance, and reference power is related to liking, essentially, um, the person. And so when you like somebody, when you appreciate them, you think they're a good person or you admire them because of their qualities, that in itself gives some power to that individual, you know. So mm-hmm. there's there's power available for everybody. It doesn't have to be that same type of power. Expert power is another good example where there might be people in your team who, because of their knowledge and experience and expertise, that gives them some power. So um, power can be shared around a bit. And mm-hmm. actually good organizations are uh, ones where that power is shared around. So yes, okay, one person in the team has got that legitimate power but then there's other people who are experts and there's people who have referent power um and actually that's uh that's a really healthy way of a team working um when we think about unorthodox um and damaging types of organizations Mm -hmm. um that uh, that behave badly that have very um, abusive types of power structures often what what's happening there is that all of the power is being held by the leader they're, they're essentially monopolizing power within that organization so that's another thing to think about is how can we um, provide a sense of 
value and importance and power for people in different ways, which I think is quite a nice way of thinking about it too. Yeah, I really love that. That's uh, that's good. I'm going to have to uh, read about that because that's that's something new in my okay. In my French French and Ravens power bases. I'll pop again. I'll try and find a a link. Um, it's quite an old one, I think. Oh, I could, middle of the 20th century that that was around. Um, so it's it's been around quite a long time. Um, and they came up with yeah. another one. I can't remember it off the top of my head now. I, I've forgotten it. But um, there's. And there's variations on the theme, but it is it is quite useful. It's quite an interesting one to think mm-hmm. about. Yeah, no, it's 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 always good. I I think um, we we keep mentioning the balance, but at the end of the day, um, I think empowerment is so critical. But yeah. Uh, yeah. you have to you have to uh, balance it with also your role as leader that you have to give people clear objectives, and you do have to manage, um, and there has to be a degree of control. Um, but just don't be a dictator. <laughs> exactly. Don't, well, don't be, don't be a free spirit that's like, hey, whatever, just do whatever exactly. you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think we, we kind of come full circle because that's sort of, again, back to Lewin's three mm-hmm. leadership styles, really. And there are others, but uh, they all sort of align to a similar sort of sort of thing. Yeah, either extreme's bad. There's a there's a zone in the middle that's um, that that's where you need to be, and and then it's situational. You know, you've got some variations depending on the person and the situation. Sure, that's good. Been a good discussion, huh? That was interesting. Thank yeah. you, Jared. Yeah, thank yeah, you very thank much. You. So, if you've enjoyed this um, conversation, uh, don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel. Um, we've got a nice steady increase of subscribers on the channel, so that's great. Um, I've had a particularly busy week this week and last week I was off sick I had COVID so I was a little bit late in putting this week's podcast out so I'm going to try and do it religiously every Thursday or every other Thursday so that's when it should drop in your inbox in the meantime I do little short things on the Instagram as does Jared on his um, Instagram so follow him as well because he's got lots of little words of wisdom pretty much every day isn't it Try to do it every day. Did one this morning before uh, before we recorded, so check it out. Excellent. Thank you very much, Jared. Great to speak to you. Absolutely. Likewise.